0: I understand that there's a common site in the American Southwest. I have not spent a lot of time there. But there's a unique plant in this part of America that's called the century plant. I wish we could get hold of one of those to give to Jerry Cravens, <laughs> being one of our older members. But anyway, the century plant thrives in rocky, mountainous areas of the desert. And it, it, uh, it's amazing. It, its leaves can grow up to a foot wide. And the plant itself can sometimes reach 12 feet in diameter. But what makes the century plant so unusual, as uh, the name suggests, is its long reproductive cycle. It's really not a literal hundred years. They just named it that. About 20 or 30 years, though, this, this plant uh, stands the same height, and you couldn't tell anything had happened, it puts out no flowers. And then all of a sudden, one year... Without warning, all kinds of buds pop out on the thing. Each bud resembles something like a giant piece of asparagus. I can't can't picture that because I don't eat asparagus. But uh, anyway, it then will eventually grow seven inches per day and reaches the eventual height like 20 to 40 feet tall. And then it crowns itself with several clumps of yellowish blossoms that lasts up to three weeks. Now I tell you this because similar to the century plant, some of life's most significant events happen to us only after a prolonged period of time. You have to wait. But we're nearing the end of our series on faith that we started a few weeks ago. We have one more this next week. The Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. We've talked about this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And then it says this, verse 2. This is what the ancients, this is what the older uh, characters of the Scripture, the heroes of the Bible, this is what they were commended for. And, of course, one of these ancient ones was Abraham. And we've seen a lot over the last few weeks. We've seen his determination to follow God to faraway land that had been promised him. We've witnessed his courage as he rescued his nephew from hostile neighbors. We've also seen that he can be a doofus every now and then and do really dumb things. But God was patient with him. We felt his compassion expressed through fervent intercessory prayer. And while certainly not a perfect person, Abraham still manages to stand pretty tall as an example of the life of faith. But there's one thing that he longed for more than anything else, and that was the birth of a son. And a son who would then become the father of the people of God. But yet in the twilight of his years, Abraham found himself... uh, uh, childless, 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 89, yet no children had arrived. 25 years had passed since God's promise was made. This future son, this promise of this heir who would help the people of God, lead the people of God. And the years had to go slowly. And with each passing year, you know what Satan does. Satan lives for these moments. He just whispers in their ear, well, see, God's not going to do what he said he's going to do. You know, he's not going to, you're not going to have this son and on and on and on. And you got to wonder how often Abraham and Sarah thought, you know, maybe we missed it. Maybe, maybe we misunderstood what God said. But then as we saw last week, one day God showed up and he said to Abraham, this is in the 18th chapter of Genesis, verse 10. He said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And with those words, a glimmer of hope began to shine once again. And this morning, I want you to see as we kind of move through this narrative here, at least four events that took place in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, and they're important events. First of all, the promise was fulfilled. That's a big deal. The promise was fulfilled. It had, been, it had been given long before, but it was finally received in the form of a tiny baby boy. You see, God's promises always come through exactly in the way that He predicts. And in our text, Genesis 21, I want you to notice three different reminders that God gave to Abraham reminders that He's faithful and He always keeps His word. Look at verse 1 of our text in Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, what? As he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah, what? What he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant, had bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Three different reminders there. Several times over two and a half decades, God had renewed the promise, yet Sarah had remained childless now there's a lesson there for us maybe you've been waiting for a long time for something to happen maybe you forgot to answer a prayer yeah. maybe you're trying to be patient but it's been long and hard maybe you prayed for employment maybe a job where you could actually kind of be an effective witness meet the needs of your family you know take care of things it's been difficult to be patient in fact, I'm not sure anybody really likes to be patient. anybody anybody really love patience here. Now, see, this is an honest group of Christians. Oh, wait! I, mean, I see a hand back there. He loves being patient. Oh, that's great. All right, all right. Well, you need. We have to have one to make keep the rest of us straight. Okay, so that worked out. You know, with Abraham and Sarah, God proved Himself faithful, and when the promise was finally received. And here's, here's the circumstances of Sarah. It's, it's kind of unique in a sense. She is an old woman. Natural childbirth at the age of 90. Max Cicado once wrote that Sarah was the only patient. Jerry, what are you chuckling about? I, I would suggest you sit a little further back, if at all possible. You know, there's a room in the back, back there for you. And probably you might want, want to sit together. You might want to. And uh, we'll we'll get you some marriage counseling. It'll be okay. <laughs> oh mercy! Don't even know where it was here. But understand, this was not some kind of a, you know, uh, this was just God keeping His word. He said he would do it, and he did. And he says the same things. as us. He tells us he does word all the time, the things that he will do. He's faithful. We're the ones that get impatient. We're the ones that wanted to be on our timing and in our way of circumstances. And Sarah's circumstances were challenging. But God is still faithful, and he keeps his promises to us. Now, yes, at times Abraham had, uh, how shall we say, demonstrated his human weakness. You know, he is a human being, you know. And he had kind of disappointed others, I think, stumbled as the smallest of obstacles sometimes. But when we do that, God has still provided countless reminders to ensure us that he's still in control. And Abraham's experience should teach us our circumstances are never to be a barrier to the purposes and plans of God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or even imagine. God's able to do far more than give a child to a woman who's past normal childbearing age. God's able to use a faithful teenage shepherd boy named David to defeat a seven-foot giant. God's able to take the faith of a guy named Noah and his family and enable them to build a, a boat the size of a football field. And God is able to save us even if it requires him becoming a human, coming to earth and dying on a cross so we might live. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So the promise was fulfilled, that's the first point. God kept His word. But I want you to also see, that Abraham had to follow some instructions here. He was obedient. He fulfilled the family tradition. Look at verses 3 and 4 of our text. He gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. God told him to do that. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Notice that he being obedient. His obedience is showing through here. And he kept trusting. He didn't give up. He obeyed before the birth of the child and after his perseverance and persistence could be seen. And we need that same kind of faith today. And you know why? Because the long as we've lived, long as we've lived, as some of us have lived a few days, this world is getting to be kind of a, a messy place. We hear and read and see too much of all of the horrible things going on around the world. And we need to be encouraged. And we especially need to focus on the future. You probably never heard of the name of a Christian guy named uh, George McCluskey. George McCluskey, for many years, this was many years ago, he got married, started a family, And because he wanted his children to follow Christ, he decided to invest some time every single day, one hour of every single day, to pray for his grandchildren and his children and great-grandchildren. He continued to do this for years. Every day between 11 o'clock and noon to the day of his death, George McCloskey got down on his knees and prayed for the generations to come that he had never even met yet. The years went by. His two daughters committed their lives to Christ, and both married Christian men who went into full-time ministry. God gave those two uh, couples four daughters and one son. Each of the four daughters grew up to marry ministers, and the boy also became a pastor. The first two grandchildren to all these unions were boys, and upon graduating from high school, these two cousins decided, you know what? We're going to go to the same college, and they became roommates. And uh, during their sophomore year, one boy decided, you know, I, I think I feel God's call to ministry. But the other, other, other said, well, I'm not sure I feel the call to, to preach. Uh, and, and I imagine he felt a lot of pressure. I mean, all you had is preachers all these generations. You see all these preachers. But he said, no, he said, I'm really interested in, in psychology and how you apply that in, in Christian context. That's what he chose. He earned a doctorate in psychology and eventually wrote books for parents that became bestsellers, started a radio program that was on over a thousand stations across America. His name was Jim Dobson, the founder and the leader of Focus on the Family. And due to the faithful, persistent prayers of his ancestor, George McCluskey, God was able to influence far, far more than just one family. Can you imagine the faith that that took for him to do that? You know, we are in the moment. We don't think about the future generations too much. I tease my kids all the time. I tell them that I expect them to take care of me when I get old and you know and miserable and grumpy. And they keep reminding me, well, you're already old and miserable and grumpy. You know, and, uh, and they're too big to spank, so I can't discipline them, but but this is amazing. Isaac was born, his promise was received in the form of this crying baby in the arms of a woman who probably looked more like a great-grandmother. And as this drama unfolded, you know, again I want you to see not only that, that the promise was fulfilled and Abraham followed the instructions, but also their joy was restored. Their joy was restored. Years of waiting were forgotten. Can you imagine waiting for a child for 25 years? Can you imagine that? But the the tears of frustration finally gave way to tears of joy. In fact, Jesus said it himself. John 16, 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And Sarah at 90 probably had Ah, I can imagine a challenging time. First child, no anesthesia. But in spite of all the difficulty, the long-awaited child was here. And I'm sure that tears of joy were shed, but I tell you, there was also laughter. Verse 6 of our text, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I find it interesting that uh, throughout the account of Abraham and Sarah there are frequent times of laughter in spite of all the challenges. In chapter 17 verse 17 we see that when God finally told him he would be a father Abraham said, Abraham fell face down and he laughed the Bible says. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? God had fulfilled the promise. It was, it was laughter and joy of faith and, and they realized that God is still in control. We may not understand His methods, but we trust that He knows what is best for us. As hard as it may be sometimes, maybe because of your situation even today, may be really weighing on you. But the example set before us is that we trust. We even know we can't see. It's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things that we cannot see. So when God chooses to remain silent, you and I must choose to wait patiently and trust in Him. This is why Isaiah 40, 31 is such a powerful verse. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will be soaring on eagles or on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. See, God's timing is never late, never early either. It's always right on perfect schedule. And when the Apostle Paul spoke of Jesus over in Galatians, the fourth chapter, he said this, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem all those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. The promise was fulfilled. Abraham followed the instructions and joy was restored. And then the last point here, the hope that they had was rekindled. Now some of you may be wondering why all this, uh, what kind of a meaning it is for you and me today. Here's why. It's because the Messiah, of course Jesus Christ, Savior, was to come through a certain family line, through Abraham's family line. And on it, eventually through David, who was a descendant. And back in the fifth chapter, chapter 17, God even says to Abraham, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, which means the father of many, many nations. And in verse 15, God also told Abraham about his wife, Sarah. So, So what I want you to see, there was hope given, but they had to wait a long time to see it fulfilled. He told Abraham, he said, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her, and will surely give you a son by her, and I will bless her so that she will also become the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Wow. Someone who said, while all the other nations of the world are standing around choosing their own gods, God was busy choosing his own nation. And he set apart Abraham and Sarah and the Jewish people. He set apart these parents to be the parents of the chosen nation. But they almost gave up hope. They had almost given up. So when Isaac was finally born, their hope was rekindled for the future. And while they could not see the multitudes, they could not see that what was to come. They once again had confident hope that God would do what he said he would do. Hmm. this is why Hebrews 11 says faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see wow see Isaac in a sense was like a deposit God was telling them even before he was born you're going to have a son he's going to be kind of the down payment on this promise concerning all these future generations he was telling Abraham don't be discouraged hang in there because this is just the beginning of what is coming. And he may be saying something like that to some of us today, even though we can't spot it risk really quickly. So I ask you this morning, what keeps you hanging on? What if when your boss calls and says, well, we're eliminating your position, you know, what, 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 what keeps you hanging on? What do you hang on to? The phone rings in the middle of the night, and somebody says, you know, you need to come down to the emergency room, there's been an accident. What do, you, what do you cling to? When someone says, well, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't think I love you anymore, um, then to who do you turn? You see, the faithful Christian never sees a hopeless end because of, Jesus, because of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, what do we have? We don't have a hopeless end. We have an endless hope. And hope and faith all go together. Remember the songwriter said our hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus, blood, and righteousness. This world is not our home, the song has said. We are just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And we must remember that the Bible teaches these things. Here's the reason why. Someday God is going to even the score. And heaven will take care of every heartache you and I have ever experienced in our life. Our hope is not just restored for a moment, but forever. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You can rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You see, when Isaac was born, the hope for future generations was rekindled. And as Christians now, we have a fulfillment of our faith that lies in the future as well because Jesus has called us to be faithful even to the point of death and He would grant us the crown of life. You see, God has given us a down payment and if you want to talk about the ultimate fulfillment of faith, the new Jerusalem, all these eternity with God, glories of heaven, then listen to John 14, 2 and 3. Jesus says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now, that promise from Jesus himself is the foundation of the church, the foundation of our faith, and the foundation of our hope, and our love, and so many other wonderful Christian virtues. But I want to close differently. This is not the end of the series, but I I felt the need to add this. I want to close with two realities about eternity. The first one is this. There are a lot of people that are headed for hell. A lot of them. And while that may disturb you, and it should, that's the reality. The Bible's pretty clear that there's a road and a passageway and there are a whole lot of people on the wrong road multitudes of people living on the outskirts of hope, and by failing to accept the Lord and His sacrifice, then they're they're on borrowed time. They're living in the darkness of despair, whether they know it or not. Life has no meaning. Laughter has no substance. Their destiny is a Christless eternity. And you and I have the answer to this dilemma, and we need to share it. One of the reasons that we should talk more about our faith. We're some of the quietest Christians anybody ever meet. I don't know how often it comes up in your work week. I don't know how often you talk to anybody about the Lord. though we should be concerned. Many, many, many Christians who doubt that they're going to heaven is another point. Even if you're a Christian. I think some are more afraid of hell than they are going to heaven. They're being sure of heaven. Now, we shouldn't be arrogant, but it is important that we cultivate an assurance, a confidence as we go through life. We're certainly not saved by our own goodness, obviously, we know that. We're not saved by our works. But for those who've surrendered their lives to Christ, if you've been obedient to Him and His plan, then heaven is their hope and promise that is from God which is why in First John five thirteen the scriptures say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I assume that should be most of us here. But I do that, John says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And you can know that. You can know you're, you're saved. Not because of our own goodness and our own merit, but because God is faithful and Jesus is good. So I encourage you not to miss the big idea of the series, actually, but especially this sermon. Number one, God's not promised every couple that they're going to be able to have a child. God's not promised everybody a new or nicer home. God's not even promised you a happier, fulfilling marriage. He's not promised any of those things. In fact, the Bible says in this word, you're going to have trouble. But He has made one promise to everybody, and that is everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord will receive eternal life in heaven. And if you can't accept that, then you either have no understanding or appreciation of grace, or you just really don't believe God's promise at all. God writes with a pen that never blots, the poet has said. He speaks with a tongue that never slips, and He acts with a hand that never fails. And in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, He rekindled that hope by keeping His promise And He can do the very same thing for you and me if we place our trust in Him and not in ourselves. I'm going to pray, the team's going to come back together, and we'll have our closing time. Heavenly Father, thank you for another reminder that you always do what you say. And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to our congregation. I thank you for the times that we've gone through dark hours too and difficult. Some of our families right now are going through some really hard times. But I'm grateful to you, Father, because you are here, you're with us, you are not silent. And Lord, we want to follow and we want to understand, but we need help. We need your grace more than ever every day. Help us to strengthen our faith, help us to be more confident. Help us to be in the Word enough on a regular basis that all of these promises are are given to us and repeated and reminding of ways in which you have said already, I'll be with you, even to the ends of the age. So help us in our troubled time and our world and all the chaos going on around other countries and and lives being lost and fights and battles and arguments. And it just wears us out. But Lord, help us understand that with you, We may still go through hardship, but we won't stay in that hardship forever. Lord, rekindle our faith. Help us in this series to make faith more crucially real to us. Help do that, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. And my prayer is for our church family that we will see a a harvest of new faith as we move into the weeks and months ahead. Thank you, Father, you're so good to us. And we ask, Lord, that as we move forward, we have another week in the series, but I ask that you will help us for maybe the very first time in our lives to get it when it comes to trusting you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.